These are real people. They do have struggles. And it starts to get on my nerves. I just shut down. So many people suffer from mental illness. She's not a great match for me, and that's okay. A lot of people don't understand the depth of the situation, so they can't appreciate, yeah. Dad came upstairs, and then I heard him say, like, it's happened. And I was like, what's happened? It's difficult dealing with our minds. To get the word out that men have got to start talking. I feel like a lot of the friends that I did have have sort of stopped speaking to me because of it. And the suicidal thoughts were back. People knew that there was something not right, but they just never really said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything. Not only did this help me to write it, mm. it potentially might have helped some other people as well. So it sort of started from there. And then she was like, can you tell me a bit about what's going on? So I told her everything and her face dropped. You're not depressed, it's, it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most. I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard, it's exhausting. So many people think they're alone. And then you hear other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, and then they want to talk about it. Hello and welcome to Mike's Open Journal and to episode 101, 101, I don't know, 101. And uh, I'm delighted to introduce you to another new guest on the podcast today. Um, I was really fortunate to be able to sit down and have a chat with Maddie a couple of weeks ago um, and talk a little bit about her story and her journey uh, with mental health and mental health illness and Again, it's really nice just to sit down and chat and hear someone's story, their experience and yeah, some of the stuff that they have struggled with, but also some of the awesome stuff that they've done as well. And I think for me, particularly um, having spoken to Maddie, hearing about some of the projects and the campaigns and things that she's been involved with as well and hearing her talk about a range of different mental health illnesses from BPD to anxiety, depression and and a lot more as well. Uh, and I know she's going to mention it at the end of this episode, but it's definitely worth going and checking out uh, a bit more about Maddie. And you can find her on Twitter at underscore bitter insanity. Um, so definitely go and have a look and uh, find out a little bit more about Maddie. Uh, I I also want to say thank you to you guys for continuing to download the podcast. I know in the last episode there was a lot of thank yous, so I'm not going to um, do too much of that this episode but yeah I want to say thank you for continuing to be involved with the podcast and if from previous episodes or from this episode you go away thinking oh, I'd love to maybe talk a little bit about my story or kind of get involved um, please just drop me a line and uh, we'll try and organize getting you onto the podcast and, and sharing your story as well. Also want to mention just because I know it's come up in the last sort of week or so uh, a big congratulations to all of the new Young Champions for Times Change. And I know they're starting in September. So big congratulations to them. And I'm really excited to uh, see what you guys are going to get involved with over the next 18 months as well. So congrats to you. So I'm going to drop you guys straight into um, my conversation with Maddie. Um, and I really hope you enjoy it. I hope you engage with her story. And um, yeah. Here it is. Uh, so we'll start off nice and easily. If you um, are you happy just to tell us a little bit about 
um, your day or like the last week and how things have been with you? Sure. Uh, (laughs) I hate when people ask me about my day, if I'm honest, uh, because I never do anything. Um, I'm not working or in school right now. I'm actually off on disability while I'm trying to get on disability. And so my days are, they look outwardly like I'm not doing a lot, but my brain is always uh, picking up uh, the emptiness. Mm. (laughs) So anything I'm not doing outwardly, my brain is going full steam ahead, doing some crazy shit in there. Um, But today is really a nice relaxing day. Actually, my dad's out of the house because he's got this concert that he's doing. So I'm like alone in the house, which is kind of rare oh. <laughs> because my my dad works from home a lot, so I'm I'm not alone very often, and I really like it. <laughs> it's nice and to have a little. My bit dog to yourself, for like the it? first time ever is being really chill today, which oh. is awesome. So he's just like cuddling with. Me. Oh. Uh, <laughs> it's like all chill out yep. time. Yeah, we have to be careful though, because I might like get into a half hour conversation about my dog. Okay. Okay. We'll cut down on the dog talk. <laughs> I think that's really interesting though. I know you say like it's a horrible question to start with and uh, I I can kind of understand that in terms of what you've said and I do think it's, it is an interesting thing in terms of, like you say, especially sort of, for me, sometimes when you're, when you're really struggling and there's a lot going on in your head and you get tired after that, that's really hard to sort of tell people about I think because they're like but you haven't done anything and I think it myself I'm like why am I so tired why am I so worn out when I I haven't done it but I'm like I, I have just sat here for like two hours absolutely stressing and struggling with something in your head and sometimes there are um uh I guess like physical reactions to that as well um and that can be really draining and it's I don't know. I guess I've seen someone have a, uh, like a diabetic attack before. Yeah. And I feel like it's kind of sort of similar, but different to that in that there's a lot of stuff going on in your body. You like, you can't really see much of that. Um, sometimes you get like the evidence of like a bit of sweat or a twitch or something like that, but actually so much is going on inside and you've just got no idea externally what, what's going on for that person um and i've always thought it's quite a nice image in your mind to kind of get a clear well actually this is really acceptable and people understand that so why why is it not the same for that yeah absolutely and it's and i think that that's part of the reason that mental health is something so difficult to talk about because for a lot of people it's not this tangible thing Mm. like if you were to look at someone who's who's working out and going for a run, you'd be like, oh, they're being active. They're taking care of themselves. But a lot of times taking care of your mental health looks very different and it's often a very internalized um, thing. And and so it's just it's not as visible. And actually, without getting super dark, super quick, I um, recently uh, was in the hospital after I um Oh, God, I don't know how much I'm allowed to say. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to be upsetting. Oh, say, uh, say as much as you want. Um, okay. <laughs> and we'll worry about if there's stuff in there that we don't want to say later. Perfect. Okay. So recently, I, I say recently, but it was about a month and a half ago now, uh, I drove my car into a post. Hmm. And, and intentionally. 
And it was because I had this intense feeling that I wanted it to make sense to me. So I was in so much pain. I spent so much of my day not doing anything outwardly. But I just and I wanted it to make sense. And I wanted people to stop questioning why I was doing so little why I was struggling so much. And it's not that I wanted to kill myself. I just wanted to hurt myself enough that it would be okay for me to lay in bed all day Mm. and people would stop questioning me and people would stop or I would stop feeling like I was being questioned. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's that side, isn't it? Of, I guess very much trying to have a physical thing that people can see and that acceptance that it's okay to not be okay when it's physical, but because it's to do with your, your mental health or your mind. Um, do you think, is that the way you kind of feel like other people sort of see or struggle to understand what's going on with you? Or is that, is it you as well? I don't, I don't know how you feel about that one. I think it's probably a little bit of both. I, I struggle definitely a lot with self-stigmatization. Mm. It, it's definitely like a, a big thing for me. And I, But I also, I'm a person who cares a lot about what other people think of me. And it's, it's this huge struggle. And it's this thing, you know, stupid people have told me, well, what other people care but think about you is none of your business. And I go, okay, well, cool. Mm. Uh, that changes, that fixes everything. Um, but it's, so I care a lot about what other people think of me. And so sometimes I think I have a tendency to overthink what they're thinking of me as well. Um, cause rationally, I know that probably not every person I cross on the street is even thinking about me for a second. Right. Uh, but in my head, it's this <laughs> almost narcissistic. Everybody is thinking something negative about me and it's, uh really tough (laughs) i think it is interesting i don't know i don't know if it's because i feel more aware of like the self-stigma stuff more recently and probably leads me to ask more questions about it but i definitely feel like more people are starting to talk about that now and um stigma is a very real thing uh but i think up until now or up until recently that idea of self-stigma is something that we've never really sort of spoken about. And I think for some people, I definitely feel myself, it's probably something that affects me as much, if not more so than I say actual stigma with brackets. Um, yeah. That, that idea of it's, it's my reaction to some of those things. And um, I think it's really interesting when you were talking about the valuing what other people think about you. And I was like thinking in my head, I was like, oh, I really, I've always wanted to think or thought, I don't care what other people think, but then I spend a lot of time thinking about it. So I was like, is it possible? Is it in my mind that I, I, I don't care or I don't mind what other people think about me, but that doesn't stop me from spending a lot of time or energy thinking about it. Um, I don't know if those two things can happen at the same time. Uh, but I guess that's the confusion of some of the stuff that happens in our mind. Some of it isn't easy to uh, explain or describe. And then maybe that's where some of the difficulty comes as well. 
Yeah, and I, I think that's definitely true that it feels so abstract when something's wrong with your brain. Mm. Um, but also, I think that um, I've always talked about, like literally since I first got sick, that I've always talked about feels like I have two brains. I have like this rational brain and a sick brain. And sick brain just goes off and does whatever he wants to do. And whereas my rational brain is like, no, seriously, people don't think that much about you. Or no, seriously, like you've accomplished things. But sick brain just yells so loud and just takes over the situation. And so a lot of the times I talk about rationally, on a rational level, I know (laughs) that certain things just aren't true. But for some reason, my brain doesn't want me to believe it. It's, yeah, it's so hard, isn't it? And I think that's where I guess that I really have like a simplistic view in some ways of of, um, mental health, particularly illness, um, in that there's so much importance and power in us having conversations and um, it isn't going to cure someone or whatever a cure would look like and it's not going to stop it happening but I think it definitely decreases the effect um, that mental ill health can have on us and it also just allows us to feel a little bit more accepted a little bit more amongst other people and benefit from that shared experience or shared conversation and um even little things like trying to understand it or verbalize it like you said about kind of having two two minds or two brains and um for the amount of people that i've spoken to like that particular idea or thought isn't one i've heard before and i think that's where the importance of talking to different people is to kind of gauge and hear different things and like oh I really connect with that or that's not quite how I feel but I can see and understand a little bit more because I've got that information now and uh, I think there's so much power that can come from just talking about mental health and if we were thinking about uh, like different ways to study or more effective ways to work or ways to be more successful in applications like wouldn't we look online and read about different people's ideas and different people's top questions that get asked and you wouldn't just look at one article or talk to one person like you're going to talk to different people engage that there's different ideas or theories or things that are going to support you uh and i think mental health is is very similar in that way is that you do need to draw on different support systems and um unfortunately while uh the the public health service is is a great thing to have so often people are left with long wait times or um inaccessible support and that's where you kind of lean on this side of non-professionals talking a little bit about it and just kind of having that shared community yeah I think I have been spouting for the last year probably that I think that lived experience is such an important part of um, your recovery. So if you think of like your team of people who influence your recovery and influence your mental health well-being, having a person or two in there that has that lived experience with mental illness, it is such a 
drastic change from when you don't have that that piece because I think that oftentimes we can feel really isolated in having these brains that don't work the way they're quote unquote supposed to. Mm. And I and it, it was a huge turning point for me when I went to my first support group. And it was just a group of people who where I would say something or a thought I had that scared me, they weren't phased because they'd experienced similar things. And it's one of those things where, um, and then another thing you said made me think of, um, it's important to talk about these things because as social creatures, we will fill the silence in our heads. And I think that that's a big part of my self-stigmatization is, well, nobody's talking about it. So this is what they must be thinking. Mm. And when really I, I have no idea what they're thinking. I have no idea why they're not talking, but I feel that silence in my head. And when you're in a room of people with lived experience, it's feeling that, that silence, it doesn't feel as important anymore because you feel like you're really with your peers and you're really with people who understand and, and not these clinical detached doctors or, or clinicians or whatever it is. Mm. And I think it's that level of understanding that we kind of feel that other people have experienced a mental health illness have. Um, and it doesn't have to be the same or a similar illness to you. You just feel like, oh, they, they while they don't understand it, they do understand it a bit more. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's, I don't know. I mean, personally, my experience is that that is completely true. Um, but I don't know whether it is. I don't know if people that haven't experienced mental health there's, there will be some people that, that do still get it, but I, largely, I think, again, my own experience is that people that haven't had their own lived experience can really struggle to engage or understand how mental illness works or affects people. And I think those of us that are affected equally find it quite hard to define and explain how it is affecting us and what it's doing and then it does it makes it really hard that to have a conversation with someone that doesn't have that experience doesn't mean that conversation shouldn't happen it 100 percent should happen um but it yeah it it makes you feel a little bit less easy and it does make some of those conversations a a bit more difficult yeah you know they're a different kind of peer it's Mm. a different kind of conversation and I think that for me my mental illness it sometimes feels like my brain is betraying me you know you're this one part of my body that's supposed to regulate everything and is always supposed to work and if you're not working what the hell do we do and I think that that on a very fundamental level is something that other people with mental illnesses can understand I think so. I think it's quite a nice sort of segue <laughs> into me asking. Yeah, it wasn't a segue at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know what? My favorite segues are when people 
mention the segue. Oh, you're like... <laughs> it's my favorite. <laughs> I like, I've listened to a podcast before where they, I can't think what the word was. They came up with like a word and it was basically like when the conversation has reached to a certain point and they're like, well, we now want to get onto this next point, but there isn't really a link. So they'd just say the word and then just go straight into the next conversation. <laughs> oh, it'd be great if it was like a random word too. Like they just went cantaloupe. And I then think it was. It was like a random word. Because there was no, you couldn't get confused with it in a, in a mid-conversation. Because um, there'd be times when you get like one or two people and they're like fed up talking about that part. But it's like five people talking. So they'd say the word. But other people would just carry on with the conversation because they weren't finished. <laughs> Um, but yeah in a really loosely um heavily mentioned now segue um i don't know if you feel happy to tell us a little bit about um your own story as well and i think especially uh as you've mentioned i've lost track of whether this was in the recorded part or not um you kind of being new to to blogging and talking about mental health and starting to get involved with that community as well as there might be a few people that don't really know a lot about your story at the moment yeah, I would definitely say there's probably more than a few people. <laughs> I've seen the hit counter on my blog. Um, but yeah, so I first got sick. I always call it getting sick and it confuses people to no end. But I'm like, well, what do you want me to say when I got crazy? Like, I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> what language do you accept from me? <laughs> yes, right? <laughs> okay, so I'm not about, I'm not allowed to say I got sick. What do I say? <laughs> but um I got so I got sick now about oh shit how long ago was it it was 2014 so it was almost four years ago and I was uh going into my second year of university um and suddenly I was not able to function I uh <laughs> was staying in bed all day I literally only left my bed to feed my cats and I wasn't cleaning my apartment I was calling in sick to work and once classes started I wasn't going to my classes uh, which for me was really bizarre and the semester before I had actually failed three classes which again is really bizarre for me as uh, someone who is typically a good student and and you know and uh oh I think the grading system's different in the UK so I'm not gonna tell you what grades I got uh because they'll mean nothing uh I think but... ours have just changed as well so even if you told us in... <laughs> we've gone from the traditional I think it was like uh a to f is now yeah. one to nine but I don't. That's weird. Yeah, I don't know if one's good or nine is good. <laughs> 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 you can, if you're middle of the road, I'll get a gist. If you're really good or really bad, I'll just have to judge it on your character. <laughs> <laughs> judge it on your character. That's great. Um, well, anyways, yeah. <laughs> I was a good student. Okay. I was okay. Good at being a student. Um, and so when this there was a sudden shift, I was really confused. I was really ashamed too. And um, eventually I reached out to my mom and I told her, you know, I think something's wrong. I think I'm depressed. I think I need help. Mm. And she came out the next day and she helped me clean my apartment and we talked. And 
Uh, we decided I would get counseling, but then a few weeks later, we realized that wasn't going to be enough. So I ended up deferring my school year, and I moved in with my mom for a couple months. And moving in with my mom was interesting once I, I had lived on my own for a year. I don't know if you've ever had that experience, but it is weird uh, yeah. <laughs> going yeah I had a very brief experience of it and yeah it's not <laughs> yeah and I think yeah <laughs> <laughs> and I think neither my mom or I really knew how to handle this adult child who still needs a lot of help mm. thing um so it was it was a struggle but also I I'm a very stubborn and ambitious woman so I was like okay I'm 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 done I'm gonna go back now and I definitely went back way too soon in retrospect. I didn't go back to school immediately, but I worked. And by the end of that summer, I was suicidal for the first time. And that was when I, you know, I called my dad and I said, this is it. I need you to help me get out of this. I Something needs to change. Mm. Um, so I've had a couple other periods like that. I went back to school, pushed myself too hard became suicidal and went, nope, I'm not doing this anymore. Um, and then I worked and I've gone back and forth until uh, last year I decided, well, I guess I'm not going to work anymore. And actually two years ago I had moved back in with my dad okay. um, and because I couldn't keep up an apartment on my own anymore. And last year I decided I can't work anymore. Mm. <laughs> this is... It just, it was this constant cycle of I feel okay and then pushing myself way too hard, way too fast and just imploding. And so uh, last year I decided I'm not going to work anymore. And it was probably like one of the toughest decisions I've ever made along with deciding to move back in with my dad mm. because it feels like you're giving up and or giving in or like you're losing something. Yeah. And but I decided to do that a year ago. So for the past year, I've been sort of in limbo uh, where I'm on all these wait lists for all these programs that are insanely long. And I love the healthcare system in Canada. It's great that it's covered and that we're not the states and have to pay mm. for everything. And, you know, but at the same time, I think you guys have the same issue in the UK where. Mm. There's not enough money. There's not enough resources. So you're telling someone who's struggling with suicidality that you're going to have to wait six months. And that's crazy. And I'm, I haven't been able to find a psychiatrist, which I think is a really basic thing that I should be able to have is a psychiatrist. Mm. Um, but I haven't been able to find one. And so... Over the last year, I've just been trying to find programs, trying to piece together my own thing and what's going to work for me, but nothing seemed to be working. And then, as I mentioned, a month and a half ago, I drove my car into a post and I sort of laugh about it now because it, it feels silly, uh, but at the time it was a very desperate move. I had actually called my dad Um not too long before and I said I need to go to the hospital I was on my way to the hospital when I was overwhelmed with this urge of I need to get out of this I need this you know I'm in so much pain I'm struggling so much none of this makes sense and I just want something to make sense and so I crashed my car into a post and luckily 
I wasn't hurt, but I was so mad that I wasn't hurt. I was furious. And my dad came and picked me up and brought me to the hospital. And I was there uh, for a week, and uh, which should show how overloaded our hospitals are. Mm. <laughs> but I was only there for a week. Um, but it was a struggle being there. But finally, while I was there, I was diagnosed with uh, borderline personality disorder, mm. BPD, which I think is more commonly um, called emotionally unstable disorder in the UK, which is a hella insulting diagnosis. <laughs> like, who, <laughs> I don't know who thought that was a good idea. It's so dumb. I, oh, it's like, it's like diagnosing women with hysteria again. Like, are you kidding? Mm. Oh. I think I've heard it called a few different things as well. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's one of those as well. I, I don't know. I think we have an awareness growing, um, of mental health illnesses that aren't, anxiety and depression now which is good but it does bring up sometimes you're like oh how how has that been how is that a thing and it's because well because previously you had a smaller number of people being diagnosed or you had less people talking about it and so people just weren't aware um uh, yeah i don't know it's it's a strange one and even uh the borderline personality disorder in itself and it's like does it accurately kind of describe yeah. <laughs> the... I don't know, because in my mind, you're like, anxiety is largely about being anxious and yeah. depression. I am simplifying. Yeah. <laughs> is about being <laughs> depressed. So borderline personality disorder is about being borderline between... Or between different personalities i guess you would well, say well actually it was i i did a lot of research when oh, i was I first see. diagnosed because yep. i am a research person okay um but borderline it was originally named as being on the borderline between psychosis and neurosis and that's why there's a push to rename it and i've actually heard emotional dysregulation personality disorder and okay. that's my favorite because yeah. the core of borderline personality disorder is struggling to regulate your emotions mm. and having these overwhelmingly intense emotions and for me at least it spans the gamut like when I'm excited or when I'm happy it's like this overwhelming feeling of everything is awesome and like this is so great this is so exciting and when I'm sad or when I'm angry it have this tendency to completely overpower me to the point where I'm doing or saying things that I know aren't a good idea, but I just mm -hmm. can't stop myself. Yeah. And so I really like emotional dysregulation, but emotionally unstable is just oh, so dumb. I like, I can't help but laugh because it's ridiculous. <laughs> but again, I think that's where the, the cool thing of the conversation comes in and, some people might be completely okay with with that name and it maybe they feel like that adequately describes or explains yeah um what they struggle with um but until you sort of start talking about it i don't 
think you necessarily get people come forward and say, well, actually, yeah, maybe it do, it kind of describes what what I'm going through. But at the same time, actually, that sounds very offensive. Maybe is there something else that it could be called? Or if I'm talking about the the illness that I'm affected by, is there another name that I can use when I'm talking about it because I don't want to use that name? Um, yeah. And I think you do see because I, I would imagine that I've spoken to people before um that suffer with different forms of anxiety as well so they won't say oh i struggle with anxiety it'll be a particular type so it might be like social anxiety Mm -hmm. and things like that um i've spoken to people with depression that won't describe it as depression it's it's low mood um and so it's really interesting to get into again just some of those conversations around um people's different understanding and I don't know, it sounds like we have a very similar thing with the waiting lists um, going on, but I've had previously, so I've been treated, I've um, had and still received medication, um, but I've been to uh, workshops um, and therapy and things like that for my depression. And then at the end of like a, a, a workshop that was... I think it was a six-week workshop, and then at the end of it, I had about two months of like one-to-one counselling therapy. Um, and as that was kind of coming towards an end, I sort of said, "Look, I've kind of gone through, and um, yeah, I still feel like I'm affected by the depression and the low mood stuff, and but I feel more on top of that. Um, but I've kind of looked into other stuff, and I feel like uh, the BPD really fits actually some of the stuff that I struggle with in terms of." Um, emotions and relationships in particular um, really kind of fits in with some of the stuff I struggle with and they spoke about the fact that actually because the the treatment for me wouldn't change uh, if I had that it wasn't something that they would essentially bother or recommend to have identified and I was just like oh I understood what they were going for in terms of I was particularly at the time quite um, like I really want to fix things so it's like Mm. I need to know give me the name of what this is then I can go and find out what I need to do to do it to improve my situation and I understand the need for them to say what you're doing is maybe not the healthiest thing Um, but I do think I would benefit and wanted just to know a bit more about what's going on and to be informed about that. And I think that's where that conversation needs to happen and sort of say, okay, look, yeah, you are affected by some other stuff. We maybe need to look at that rather than just go, well, your treatment wouldn't change. So don't, don't worry mm. too much about that. Like, oh. um, yeah. I find that side really irritating, um, but it very much led me to the idea of we're kind of all left to work it out ourselves um and i don't know whether that's good or not um but it is very much like go away here's some medication let us know how that goes um if you're sent for counseling or therapy or whatever it's very much like yeah off you go like let us know if we need to know anything there's never i don't know i never really felt like there was much of a check-in um, in terms of them asking you, oh, how did that go? What did you think? What do you feel needs to happen? Um, mm-hmm. You do have to kind of come forward as much as possible. Um, and that's really hard. Like, you've already done the hard thing in coming forward and saying, look, I'm struggling with my mental health. And then you're asked to almost 
be an expert on something that you've literally just found out about when you're talking yeah. to people that have trained for this kind of conversation in theory i don't i don't know oh yeah i'm i'm so on board with you there literally when you said uh, when you were talking about how they didn't want to even discuss the possibility of BPD, I, my head shot up. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? This is ridiculous because you can have depression and BPD. They can be comorbid, but the di- but the treatment for BPD is usually quite unique <laughs> and, and needs to be different. <laughs> and the reason I struggled for so long is because Nobody diagnosed me with BPD, and so all the treatments I was doing was for depression and anxiety, but there was still this lingering thing mm. that no one and and it's so frustrating. And I think that there's this idea in uh, mental illness of high functioning depression. Yeah, and I don't know if I really like the term because I think it also implies that there's low functioning or less successful depressed people. Mm. Uh, which I don't like, but I think it also applies to BPD. And I think that personally, that's one of the reasons that I wasn't diagnosed for so long. I saw six, I think six different doctors over the course of four years and they all assessed me and none of them came up with BPD. And which is so ridiculous when I started doing research into BPD because I went, holy shit, is this me? Mm. This is so much of me. And it was scary how much of the diagnostic criteria and the symptoms I fit. And I think it's because I didn't have that stereotypical borderline presentation where I've never thankfully struggled with self harm and I don't have any acute trauma from my past and I have traumatic stuff but it was stuff like bullying is what affected me and that's not always taken into consideration as trauma and I very much my anger is a lot of the times internalized and I punish myself in different ways than what is typically more visible Mm. And I think that that was one of the barriers to getting diagnosed is that I, I didn't have all of these suicide attempts or all these struggles with self-harm. I wasn't this, uh, what what the stereotype is of a person with BPD. And uh, I think that that was a lot of the barrier. And I think that that's the most frustrating part because now I'm sitting here and I 100% am a borderline. I 100% have BPD and I still feel like I have to justify that to some people Mm. and explain that, well, no, not everybody's going to display it the same way. Um, But I am really, really lucky in that my parents are able and willing to pay for me to get private therapy. And it is a lifesaver. My, I love my therapist. <laughs> like she is. I've been seeing her since I moved home, and actually even a little bit more. Like I've been seeing her for two years, and mm. she knows pretty much everything about me. And she actually, when I went to the hospital, she said to my dad, "Get them to uh, ask them about BPD because I think Maddie might have it." Mm. And she'd never said anything to me because she's not a clinician that's actually allowed to diagnose things. So yeah. it was a very awkward position for her to be in Mm. but yeah but I mean it's 
it's ridiculous how much that is. And I don't get any support in it. I'm on welfare now, but even once I get on official disability, they don't cover counseling. They Mm. don't cover it in health insurance. And it's ridiculous because it costs me just about, well, it costs my parents just about $400 a month, Mm. which is, I think, uh, $100 is about 60 pounds. So whatever 60 times four, so 240 pounds a month. It's that, you could, oh, I don't know, I guess it comes back to that process, process, that thought that counselling or therapy is somehow a luxury. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's a treatment, it's a legitimate treatment for an illness and the fact that it's easier, cheaper and quicker to give you medication or arguably in a lot of situations nothing um yeah (laughs) (laughs) so critical those oh no no i totally accept that those two options are seen a lot more and i think of i don't know what your first um conversation with like a doctor was uh, was but um i know when i sat down and the first time i spoke to my um local doctor they um admittedly it was good because they were very honest and they sort of said look you can leave today with this medication or um we can look at the the kind of the therapy and the group stuff but you're gonna wait four plus months for that um and at the time I was like I I I'm yeah four months isn't that's not gonna be good um I don't want to take the medication but if I take the medication with me today, at least I can put it in the cupboard and it's, I can start taking it when I feel like I need to. Um, so I said, yeah, put me down on the waiting list for, for this treatment, knowing it's going to be, I think it was about five months in the end. It might've been a little bit longer. Um, and so you've got that wait happening and in the medication I didn't want to take. So I took it home and it sat in a cupboard for about two and a half months until I had a breakdown and then I was like well I've got got to start taking it now um Mm. but it's that you're so limited on your options and I know like any service the demand for mental health support has gone up and it has to go up there has to be a time when people are saying actually look we're waiting six plus months there is now a need for that service and in theory I guess our governments or whoever are looking into how over time that service can be improved so those um, services are increased to match the demand. So I completely get from a business side. You can't just up everything and think, oh, that's going to be needed in future. But I think there's been a steady increase over a number of years now. There's always people talking about waiting lists and demand for, for spaces or beds even. Um and actually that does really need to be looked at and too many people are just when you hear people that um come forward and and often people that openly talk about mental health and have done for some time so they are very aware of um the environment and what they can and can't ask for and access and things like that and they've been in to see a doctor and basically been told short of you coming in here and telling us that you're going to kill yourself we we can't offer you any more than you already have um 
And I just think that's absolutely ridiculous. And I, I don't understand how we are in that situation. Those people can't be given some more support. Yeah, it's absolutely, it's tragic. And it's frustrating when you have to look at it, well, in a, from a business standpoint, because in in reality, it, socialized medicine isn't, a business. It's not it's not about making money. It's not about money at all. It's supposed to be about helping people. And we shouldn't have to I think justify it in terms of what it will be worth in money. Mm. But unfortunately that's where we are. Mm. And in terms of hospital actually, I uh I live in Ontario just north of Toronto and I'm in like a region called York Region. And it's actually known in the area for having um, the most stressed out mental health resources. Mm -hmm. And actually, the hospital in my town is notoriously terrible for mental health. And it's because their ward is so tiny and they have no space for anyone. And they service this huge area, but they can't get the funding to increase the number of beds they have and so they have people who are actively suicidal sitting on beds in hallways being watched by security guards and it is and I went to that hospital once for my mental health and I never went back again I drove half an hour away to go to a different hospital Mm. because it was a terrible experience it feels so dehumanizing when you take all of the strength you have left and you reach out for help and you tell them what you need and you ask for it and they they don't give it to you and it feels so personal sometimes too and one of the things I wanted to touch on too is uh, I take medication so not only do I go to therapy I take medication and it's still not enough so medication might be a really easy fix but it's not it's not going to work for everyone Mm. And um, one of the uh, analogies I always, always make is mental health to diabetes. Diabetes is an incredibly complex disease. It comes around uh, not necessarily because of the fault of the person. It can have uh, genetic or environmental factors. Mm. And it uh, is managed differently by everybody. So some people will be able to manage it just with uh, diet and exercise. Some people need insulin. Some people need both. And I see mental health very similarly. So sometimes you can just do some counseling and focus on your mental wellness. Sometimes you need just medication and sometimes that's enough. And sometimes you need both. And that there's not necessarily any shame in needing any of those things. And there's nothing inherently wrong with having an illness that needs to be treated in a specific way. But I think a lot of the time we're meant to feel that way. Um, where reaching out for help and trying to see these things is so difficult, but then you're met with almost that pushback. Mm-hmm. And it's very common for borderlines too. I've heard stories of borderlines being turned away from hospitals when they were suicidal because well, they're just doing it for attention or they have borderline, so it's fine. Or um, I actually, one case where a nurse uh, told a friend of mine who was there with her friend that uh, you don't really think she's going to do it, do you? 
in this very unbelieving. Well, of course she's not. She's a borderline. They just threaten this sort of thing. Mm. And it is tragic. And it leads to the loss of life, which is insane. It's such a dangerous way to... Mm. I was about to think, but such a dangerous way to treat people. Yeah. Um, Because... Oh, sorry. (laughs) No, you go, you go. In... In my head, if someone is desperate enough to threaten suicide, something is seriously wrong. Yeah. I mean, I've spoken to uh, someone before and they kind of came forward with uh, a lot of different um, mental health illness symptoms. And uh, this was over a period of probably a year plus. And... uh, it got to a stage where it was kind of discovered by a few people that actually a lot of what had been going on has kind of been um, either faked or made to look more serious than it was. And uh, reaction to that was just like, we don't need to essentially worry as much about this person. And uh, I was like, no, you don't understand. It's like the fact that they've done that means that there is a problem um it's just it's not the problem that they're presenting with the Mm. fact that someone would do that isn't okay um and there is an issue maybe it's not a mental health issue maybe it is something else but that person is struggling with something and they do need attention and support Mm. um and i think not i i haven't I think I've probably only seen that twice. Um, I haven't seen that a lot. Uh, But the fact that I've seen it twice must mean that it happens enough that there are a a reasonable amount of people that are affected by that. Um, And I can understand why maybe some people then have that view of, oh, certain people or certain illnesses don't need to be taken as seriously. And I think that's really short-sighted that just because something isn't the the problem or the issue that you thought it was doesn't mean that there isn't a problem like if you saw um i don't know a car slowly breaking down on the motorway and you're like oh it's out of petrol and you were able to see that there's petrol in it you wouldn't then go oh that's fine like it's still slowing down it's still about to break down (laughs) that is such a great analogy that yeah that's perfect um yeah no 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 something is still wrong (laughs) it's fine don't worry guys yeah oh i was it stopped all right okay i didn't see that coming yeah and and it and i think it's this idea of the crazy person Mm. right so i very much like to reclaim the words crazy and insane my blog is called my bitter insanity i try to embrace it but i think there's also this image of that crazy person on the corner yelling and screaming Mm. and that's what mentally ill people are And I actually wrote a blog post a while ago about this idea that once you've got a mental illness, you know, nothing you say no longer matters. And what that didn't make any sense. Things you say no longer matter. (laughs) (laughs) It feels like. I called and I called the blog post. I really like my titles. I spent a lot of time working on my titles. But um, where crazy starts, respect is sure to end. And it was about these experiences that I had where 
uh, I had a serious complaint about my treatment. And I tried to make a complaint about it, but I was met with so much patronization. Mm. And it was just this, I'm this broken person, I'm a child, and I can't, I'm not capable of rational thought. Mm. And it, and it's, no, <laughs> like, I'm still a person. But don't you I'm think it'd be so interesting guy. if you came forward with praise? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, we're not going to accept that praise. <laughs> she doesn't know right? what she's saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's exactly true. Because, like, it's picking and choosing what they can or can't write off about what I say. Mm. And it's... Uh, and kind of linking in a little bit to your blog, um, I know recently you've sort of put up a couple of posts a bit more about kind of the social side, dating and body image and things like that. So kind of be interesting to hear a little bit about how how you sort of got started with blogging and the different things that you now talk about. Absolutely. So my blog, uh, it's a mental health blog as I said it's called my bitter insanity which was a name that as soon as I found it I was like oh this is perfect because I'm bitter about everything (laughs) all the time (laughs) and especially the fact that I'm sick um but uh it started off actually funnily enough I had this whole story written out on my about page so I'll go over it quite briefly um but an acquaintance of mine started a blog about some mental health issues that she was having. And I had known that she had been having mental health issues. She'd had them for about nine months. Um, Before she started this blog, she started having really intense panic attacks. And I really felt for her. I've had panic attacks before. They're terrible. And she was having these clusters of of them. And it was really debilitating. And I reached out to her and I tried to support her every way I can. And But she started writing this blog and about how she was better now. And it got me so fucking mad. I was furious for days because it felt like she was getting to be the voice for this thing that I had struggled with for a couple years after she'd, you know, only been struggling for six months and then was now going to grad school. Mm. And so it was very much this very bitter childish reaction of well why do you get to say things and I've always been very passionate about advocacy and I knew that that was going to be part of my journey at some point but I always thought that I had to get better first yes and when I saw her uh her blog and I realized what my reaction was to it it was because I felt like I didn't have a voice and that there weren't enough people in my position speaking up about the tougher mental illness and the mental illness that lasts for years and might never go away. And, and I felt like I didn't have a voice. So I spent an inordinate amount of time designing my website and then I, I launched it and actually in the fall and this was in the fall and actually in the fall, I uh, ended up having a bit of a mini breakdown and I let it go for months. I just ignored that it had happened. Mm -hmm. And in February I came back and I started doing weekly posts again, and it has been really great. Uh, and I talk about a lot of what's going on in my life and also what has happened in my life. And as you mentioned, like my last couple posts were 
at dating with mental illness because I've just sort of decided maybe I'll start dating again. And I've also recently decided that, well, maybe I won't. (laughs) (laughs) Spoilers to the end of that post. (laughs) Yeah. uh, (laughs) There might need to be a follow up that, no, it's too hard. I can't. People are crazy. I can't do this. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, and I also talked about um, I have uh, an eating disorder as well. And it uh, messed with my body a lot and it's caused me to gain a lot of weight. And I talked about what it's like to be in this position of, okay, well, I'm a fat woman and I now have to fit into society. But people have all of these uh, assumptions that they make about my body because of the way it is and they don't see really what that came from was my binge eating disorder, which for years was the only way I had uh, to cope with all this pain I was going through. Mm. So yeah, I try to post every week and I've actually posted every week for a while ago. And actually in May, uh, you were a part of my little uh, mental health awareness week festivities, I guess, where I had a bunch of guest writers come on the blog. And so there's a link to that still as well. And I think yeah. it's nice when you have that opportunity as well to kind of collaborate and do different things with people. And I've, I guess it was part of, it's not really why I started the podcast, but it's very much the way it's gone in that um, I don't really do, I think everything that's on my blog, I think is written by me. I don't think I've ever really had any guest stuff on there. Um, but that's because I've got the option of doing stuff with the podcast and I've always been, mm. The, I've had a few times when people have sort of contacted me and sort of said about doing stuff on the blog and I'm like it's not really what I use mine for but yeah, I, I would love true. to sit down and talk to you <laughs> and they're like oh <laughs> oh okay <laughs> um and it's yeah that that side I, I really like I really like having um the opportunity to kind of talk to people hear different ideas and things like that and I was really grateful to you actually when you sort of said about being part and I was like I really want to but I'm really lazy and I'm busy and (laughs) can I do like a picture thing and oh my god I love doing the picture thing now like I've had a a couple of other people sort of said about doing stuff and I was like I don't I don't suppose I could just maybe send you like a picture and have like a little quote or something in it and um, I think some people were like yeah that's fine and other people like no we want written stuff I'm like Oh, I'll maybe pass on the written stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I loved what that couple of weeks turned into. I had a whole uh, variety of stuff. I mm. had some poems and some artwork and your pictures and it was great. It was a real nice collection because you did have some sort of fully written bits as well, I think, in there. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just a real nice collection and it's nice that I think during sort of mental health awareness week and those types of times, you do get a little bit more um, coverage or people start looking around and hearing a bit more about mental health. And it's nice that someone like yourself has done a campaign like that. People become a bit more aware and then they can kind of drop in and follow up on, on your story and your um, open conversation around uh, mental health and how it fits into to your lifestyle as well. I think that's really cool. Mm. Um so if people do want to find out a little bit more about you, Maddie, where and how can they do that? Well, I am on uh, Twitter a lot more than I'm on Instagram, though I am on Instagram. I just 
struggle to come up with pictures to put there. Um, but I'm on both. I'm un- at underscore bitter insanity. And my blog is mybitterinsanity.com. You've done really well to have similar names there. Like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was an important part. I'm like, okay, well, I, if I know anything about being online, someone said branding to me once upon a time. and uh, Try so and keep it all to sort of match. It helps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. It's been lovely to talk to you and to hear a bit more about your story. And I think there's a few things there that we've started to kind of touch on that would be really interesting to come back and talk about um in the future as well if you'd be interested in coming back yeah absolutely it's been so great and i'm so impressed with my dog who's just been sitting here quietly this entire time that's a long time Um, for a dog to sit quietly it is i'm very impressed (laughs) (laughs) but i really appreciate coming on it was great having a talk with you cool no worries thank you very much and we'll talk again soon absolutely These are real people. They have struggles. And it starts to get on my nerves. I just shut down. So many people suffer from mental illness. She's not a great match for me, and that's okay. A lot of people don't understand the depth of the situation, so they can't appreciate it. Yeah. Dad came upstairs, and then I heard him say, like, it's happened. And I was like, what's happened? It's difficult dealing with our minds. To get the word out that men have got to start talking. I feel like a lot of the friends that I did have have sort of stopped speaking to me because of it. And the suicidal thoughts were back. People knew that there was something not right, but they just never really said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything. Not only did this help me to write it, Mm. it potentially might have helped some other people as well. So it sort of started from there. And then she was like, okay, tell me a bit about what's going on. So I told her everything and her face dropped. You're not depressed, it's it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most. I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard, it's exhausting. So many people think they're alone. And then you hear other people talk about it. And they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, And then they want to talk about it.